0: If you'll join me in the word of the Lord, uh, in Isaiah chapter 60, we'll read the first nine verses. And if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Shiva shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kadar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar. their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Trying to stay focused and not get caught up in the graduate thing And seeing these little second graders. They were second graders, right? Man. Yes, COVID. COVID, you lose track of time with COVID. It's part of what happens. So, today I want to talk to you about attraction and about the power of things that bring us under their spell. Beauty and glory and fame that pulls on you. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. So today as we speak down at Kiowa Island, the PGA Championship is being played and people are pulling for lefty, Phil Mickelson, hoping that a 50-year-old will win a major. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So, <laughs> so, so a sea of people will literally follow Phil around all day today, hoping to be on the front of the line right there. And he comes by and, Phil, go get him, Phil. Get a fist bump, touch him. Just, you, know, you can see it on TV, everybody trying to high-five him. And he's just walking, trying to stay concentrated. But everybody just wants to touch. They want to touch greatness. They want to touch... Fame and glory embodied in a person. Full disclosure I didn't say this in the first service. I would be there doing that. <laughs> like, I'm not that spiritual. I'd be like, "Give me some of that, Phil!" Um, some of us are powerfully drawn into social media. feeding on personal glory and responses on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Who knows what it'll be next year. And it's not just students. Adults feed on text message replies and how come they didn't, how come they didn't respond as soon as I thought they would? And, oh, they're gonna love this one. And, and you know, we, we feed on that too. This is, not just a, this is not just a student thing. In fact, some politicians cannot and will not stop tweeting because of self-glory the pull is so strong towards self-glory it's real graduates Abigail Haley Morgan Lane Parker Holden something's pulling you something is already brewing in your life and you're starting to feel the pull and I don't know what that is Uh, it might be mingled with goodness and beauty and nobility it might also be tinctured with some stuff that you don't want in your life but I don't I don't know what's pulling you but at some point over the next few years what's going to happen is you're going to start clarifying the pull you're going to feel this pull toward fame and glory or whatever that thing is what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that the thing that's pulling on you toward it is a form of glory one way or another It's some kind of glory, the person or place or thing or vision or dream of what you want in life. It's pulling you. What I want you to understand is that that's what the Bible is referring to often, not always, when it talks about the weightiness of God's glory, of the gravity and substance and power of God. So what we learn from the Bible is that all glory is not good glory. There is a a glory of man. Psalm 8 describes it beautifully. There's a glory of man. God has crowned us with glory and honor. There is a a dignity and glory and honor of man. But there's also a worldly glory that's interlaced with pride and corruption and self-interest. And look at me. And then there's just outright, unmitigated, self-exaltation which every one of us are tempted toward but there is a thing called real lasting pure beautiful glory and it's God's he owns it he possesses it he dispenses it it comes back to him and when the world is right and good and beautiful, it sends that glory back to God. It never seeks to possess God's glory. That's what's wrong with the world. It seeks to possess and separate itself from God in its own glory. Isaiah 60, check this out. Isaiah 60 is about the glory of God, the pull, the weight, the attraction of God on the whole world, a powerful, life-giving glory and influence. So there are four things that I want to talk about that make the city of God the greatest attraction of all time. So we're thinking about the theme, the city of God, and its pull, its glorious, beautiful pull on the whole world. Here's the first thing that makes the city of God so powerfully attractive. The glory of her prince, verses 1, 2, and 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God has risen upon you, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Last Sunday, we talked about how people are groping in the darkness in Isaiah 59, groping in darkness, blinded by their denial of God, and the Lord saw that there was no man, no one to help them get out so he rolled up his sleeves and the strong arm of the lord got involved and how did he do that well he would do for them what he could not what they could not do for themselves verse 20 of chapter 59 says and a redeemer a redeemer will come to zion in isaiah's prophecy now in verse 1 of chapter 60 Isaiah foresees a day when the redeemer has come and so he says arise shine your light has come the glory of God is upon you it's not some kind of glory that came out of the darkness it's glory that steps into the darkness the glorious son of God the redeemer Right, this glory is in the form of a person. Uh, in Isaiah's mind, it's not just that a cloud of glory kind of shows up, a, a cloud of brightness, some sort of uh, ephemeral cloud uh, of of brightness and brilliance and glory. That's that's not what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about it seems far more localized. It it seems embodied in a person. The Redeemer's glory is what I think Isaiah has in mind, among other things in verses one and two. The Christ who has come, he comes and he is so, the redeemer, listen to this, the redeemer is so pure, so powerful, so good that the whole world is drawn to him, verse three, and verses one, two, and three act as an introduction to the whole chapter really, thematically. So verse three kind of gives you a hint as to where this is going. Kings will come and be drawn to His power and glory. Nations will come to your light, verse 3. If this eternal conflict between Israel and Gaza, which I suppose is still, I haven't really even looked at the news this morning. I suppose we're still in a ceasefire. I guess that's in quotes. But if this unending eternal conflict between Israel and Gaza tells us anything, It's that the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy has not yet occurred. In some ways, it has begun to be tasted in the Redeemer. And I'll say more about that in a second. But right now, what we're looking at is the present day city of Jerusalem. It is not a place of peace, it's a place of war right now. So apparently, there is much still to be fulfilled from Isaiah 60. But something has happened, and we believe, as we read the Scriptures, that there's an already not yet dimension to the Bible. And Isaiah is as is good of an example of, as anybody. He's talking about something that he's looking way out into the future, and as we see it now on this side, something has happened. The Redeemer has come. Something has changed. And, and, and the thing that has happened is beautifully, perfectly described Isaiah was talking about it last week. The divine warrior has conquered sin and the Messiah has come. But listen to the writer of Hebrews. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. To all those of you on this side of Christ, the Redeemer has come and you have trusted in Christ. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 12. But you have come, chapter 12, verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion. If you have trusted Christ, you've entered the city of God. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable uh, festal gathering. There's people everywhere. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, and to Jesus. You've come to Jesus, he says, the mediator of a new covenant. So, What's happening here is that in His first coming the Redeemer makes it possible for us to join in the city of God. So in this sense the city of God is not so much a place right, as it is a people who, have, uh, who, have, who, who enter into the kingdom of God. And now the church all over the world is like a little colony of this city of God. One day, and I do think this will happen radiating from Jerusalem, one day the city of God will come to its fruition. And the rain and beauty of God will be like just pouring out and righteousness will be running everywhere and Christ the Redeemer will be worshipped and glorified. This is the glory of her prince. Jesus Christ is the prince of the city of God. And so we wait for his second coming with eager anticipation when the glory of God comes down to earth. Listen, all of all the things that are pulling on you, of all the things that, that pull you, that have a glory, an attraction, and a power, of all the things that pull you under its spell, do you long for Christ? Do you trust Christ? Do you believe in Christ as just kind of a religious doctrinal statement? Or do you long for His return? Do you long to be pulled by the glory of God into the city of God? Like, do you long for that? Here's the second thing that makes the city of God the greatest attraction of all time. Just think about that. Like, the greatest attraction. Hey, there's a new attraction coming to town, right? Like, you know, you can hear the announcer, right? The greatest attraction of all time. What do you think it is? It's the city of God. It's when God is the center of all things. And it's amazing. Here's the second point. The city of God is the, most, is the greatest attraction of all time because of the beauty of her restoration. Verses four through nine. The pull that this, I'm trying to work this this metaphor for you, the pull now reaches further out, so in verses four through nine, it reaches further out, and it gathers sons and daughters of Jerusalem, it gathers all the scattered of God's people back to herself, and it does so with beautiful maternal language, look at this in verse four, lift up your eyes all around, so now the city's being personified, lift up your eyes all around and see, they all come back, your sons and daughters are coming home, your daughters shall be carried on the hip what is Isaiah doing here he's saying uh, the the people of God are like children who've been separated from their parents for a long long time and like a mother who was bereaved grieving that she might never see her children again through war through separation through some kind of tragic event she wonders will I ever see my children again God says that one day the city is going to celebrate like my, my children are coming home my children are coming home graduates are going to go away soon and then they're going to come home at some point and you're going to say I cannot wait to see you this weekend Listen to what the Word of God says about God's people who've been scattered. Listen to what the Word of God says about this thing He's building about with people all over the world. There is coming a day when I cannot wait to see you again. I'm bringing you back to myself. There's this glorious restoration going on. So translated, that means God's plan will not be thwarted. It's happening. Beautifully so. Here's the second part of this restoration. The nations take all of their cultural variety and influence and beauty and feed it back into the center, which is the city of God. Verses five through seven. Then you shall see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. That means the shipping lanes will all come back here. All the commerce and trade and and, and productivity of the world will flow toward Jerusalem. The wealth of the nations will come to you, verse six. A multitude of camels will be yours and they will bring, look at six, the second half of six, they'll bring gold and frankincense and unusual expression for the Old Testament they will bring good news. That is loaded with implications. That's loaded with theology. They will bring good news. The praises of the Lord, what that means is the nations have embraced the gospel. They embrace the good news and it's recirculating. And the good news of the Redeemer is being uh, just deepened and restored. And Verse 7, all the flocks... And look at this, and I will beautify my beautiful house. I love this. He's not just talking about a house. He's talking about a people. He's not just talking about a people. He's talking about a city, a flourishing cultural center where the gospel has brought the whole world together. What's really happening here, contrary to popular belief, is that there's one true and living God and people are, are embracing that and, and submitting themselves to it under the Messiah. There are not many religions that lead to God. We don't affirm or teach or hint at universalism. There's one true and living God, and there's one God who's making a people for himself through one Redeemer, and that is Christ. Christ. God is making, one author wrote this God is making one people for himself who will live under the reign of the Redeemer and become the predominant beautiful culture and people of the whole world, all for God's glory, all over the earth. Isaiah is talking about a day when heaven comes down to earth. That does sound, I mean, that does sound more fun than all of us getting little instruments and being cherubs and sort of floating in heaven forever, don't you think? Like, it's going to be amazing when heaven comes down to earth and this whole world is flourishing and delightful and happy and beautiful. And Isaiah is foreshadowing that day. He's talking about that day. He's talking about the beauty of God restoring people to himself and the earth and the whole cosmos, like the whole world, to his original intent. Oh, and it was very good. And it was very good, all of creation. That's what's coming back. It's beautiful. Here's a third point. Verses 10 through 14 talk about the humility of her enemies. The city of God is marked by the humility of her enemies. The sons of those who afflicted you, I'm in, uh, let's start in verse 10. Back, back to verse 10. Foreigners shall build up your walls. "'and their kings will minister to you. "'For in my wrath I struck you, "'but now in my favor I've had mercy on you.'" By the way, that's just a shortcut on the book of Isaiah. That's like, that's the book of Isaiah in a half of a verse. "'In my wrath I struck you, I chastised you, I judged you, "'but in my favor I have now shown you mercy.'" And it ends with mercy. It ends with hope. "'Your gates shall be opened continually.'" Day and night, they shall not be shut. You will not have to close your garage door at night ever again. Sometimes our garage door, no matter how hard I try, <laughs> apparently opens in the middle of the night. I look forward to the day when I don't even have to close it. Don't you? You look forward to the day when you can leave your key in your motorcycle, your key in your car, you can leave it, like you can share stuff with people? You look forward to the day when you can share your stuff with the whole world? There is coming a beautiful, amazing day when garage door openers are no longer needed. People will bring you wealth, The kings led in procession, the nation and kingdom that will not serve you will perish. They'll simply perish. Those nations will be utterly laid waste. The glory, verse 13, of Lebanon shall come to you, the beautiful place of my sanctuary. I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who once afflicted you, verse 14, will come bending low in humility. All who despised you will bow down. Here it is. They will call you the city of God. They'll call you the city of the Lord because what I'm doing is making the world a better place from right here. It's going to be amazing. Now, as a church, we want to get in on that. We want to get in on that. We want even in our coming days, in the immediate future, to taste what it would be like to bless the world and feel this beauty. Renewing the earth, renewing the world. Then there's another section, one final section in verses 15 through the end of the chapter. And let me just ask you to look for a second, because I'm doing all the talking here. So take a moment and look at your Bible. Get in, get, get in Bible study mode here and look at verses 15 and 16 and 17 and see if you can find a key theme. See if something stands out to you here. Look for the word forever in verse 15. It's also in verse 21. Back in verse 15, age to age. Verse 18, no more. Verse 19 and verse 20, everlasting. What's happening here, Isaiah is the emphasis of this last section is finality. It's permanency. It's forever. The life giving joy and peace and happiness of the city of God is not temporary, it is forever forever and ever and ever, the, the, the gravitational pull, the deep, abiding, satisfying glory of God will last forever. Look, that's, that makes total sense, by the way, because that's what's underwriting all the goodness that even still exists in this world, God's glory. You've never tasted anything good that didn't come from God. You've never seen anything beautiful that he didn't draw. You've never known in deep loving relationship with someone. True unconditional love. If it's not from God. He underwrites it all. That's why it's all going back to Him. And that's why it's forever. And that's why there's a permanency. Because the life-giving joy, peace, and happiness of the city of God is God Himself. And that's what I want to close with. Verses 19 and 20. Guess what the greatest attraction of this city, guess what the greatest of all attractions in the city is? It's not a new ride. It's not a thing we go do. Although all these things will be happening It's God himself, verses 19 and verse 20. God himself, look at this. And this is gonna sound familiar to some of you. Um, Verse 19, the sun shall be no more, your light by day, The sun will no more be your light by day, nor, nor brightness from the moon at night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. The sun shall no more go down and the moon will not withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light. God himself is the greatest attraction. God is, the reason Isaiah is using this light language and this glory language is because God is weighty and he's substantive and he's life-giving and he pulls on us toward him to be satisfied in him. This is what the greatest attraction Like, this is why you should not talk about wanting to go to heaven more than wanting to know Him and see Him. Like, He is the great God is the greatest attraction in heaven. Heaven is where God is. He's the greatest of all attractions. He's the pull. He's the interest. And the sooner you and I grasp that God is the one underwriting all the beauty and glory of this world, the happier you will be. Graduates, as you, listen, can I, can I talk to the graduates for just another minute before we wrap this up? As you go and start dreaming about your major or your vocation or what you're gonna do and how you're gonna make a difference in the world, please, don't spend a decade or more trying to work your thing out and then invite God to bless it. Don't do that. Like start right now, start today, saying God, I I don't know how you wanna use my life, but I want you to be the center of it. And then when I go into my vocation, into the marketplace, into my calling, you be the center of that. And I won't live for money, I'm not gonna live for position, I'm not gonna live for power and influence, I'm gonna live for Christ. Simply, humbly live for Christ, be a faithful presence of Christ in a broken world, and then God, you use me and you take me wherever you want me to go. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in this graduate as it is in heaven. And then you'll start to see, I promise you, the sooner you do this, the happier you will be. And you will start to see like light and glory exploding everywhere. You won't, Instead of looking this way to see how you could make the most of yourself, you're going to start seeing God at work and His glory in a thousand, a million, a hundred million places. Don't spend a decade wasting your time on your personal glory. Just don't do it. Final word, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, 21. Go to the end of the book. Let's go to the end of the book. We're, we're talking about right, life and stuff today and graduates and the future. and Let's go to the end of the book. This is going to sound really familiar. Chapter 21, almost the very end of the book of Revelation, 21 and verse 22. So chapter 21, verse 22, and I saw... No temple in the city, listen to this. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And by its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. Like that's what you need to do with your glory. Come and bring it to Christ. And the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no more night there. And they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is John's way of saying God is the center of heaven and all eternal glorious things we're going to go into communion and this lamb who is the light is first our sacrifice so alan will you lead us into the table please